This is Brain Diet, episode number 14. I'm Taylor Ann Macy, and you are listening to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain good information. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. Today, our topic was determined by a poll that I did on Instagram. I asked what podcast topics people were most interested in hearing about, what would be the most useful podcast topics, and the most dominant response I got was anxiety. Now, some people said anxiety about specific things, other people said just generalized anxiety, and so Today's episode is dedicated to anxiety. We will be defining it, talking about it, as well as talking about tools to use that can be helpful in managing it. And I think this was a great choice for an episode because anxiety has become kind of a buzzword in our society. It's something that we hear very regularly, whereas I don't believe 50 years ago, the word anxiety had as much awareness around it. And so I think it's important to really create that awareness to understand what it is and also understand your brain and what's happening when you are experiencing that anxiety. Now, I want to preface this with the acknowledgement that there are many different factors that contribute to anxiety. Now, for those of you that are familiar with what I teach and what I do as a life coach, you know that I use the model that was created by Brooke Castillo. That is the foundation of what I used to coach. And that model shows us how everything that we feel, every emotion we experience comes from thoughts we have, that our thoughts cause our emotions. But anxiety can have more factors than just thoughts. I believe that anxiety can be influenced by diet. It can be influenced by what we're eating. It can be influenced by exercise, how we're exercising, our sun exposure. I believe that anxiety can be influenced by the chemicals in our hygiene products and the things that are sprayed on the food we eat before it gets into our house. I believe that sleep can have a huge effect on anxiety. Hormones can have an effect on it. Essentially, anxiety can be the result of many different factors. Now, while I could go on about what to eat and how to adjust everything in your home to become more in harmony with a body that is physically more likely to combat anxiety. Those types of things are definitely hobbies for me. I wouldn't consider myself an expert necessarily, but what I want to share today is my specific area of expertise. I am an expert in thoughts and emotions, and I believe that mental management is a huge pillar in dealing with anxiety in combination with all of those other things. Now, I've seen clients of my own with severe anxiety benefit extraordinarily with only the tools that I teach. And so that's why I want to share that with you today. And for those of you listening, you can take this information and do with it what you want. You can combine it with any other factor that you feel like might be affecting your own emotional experience with 
anxiety. Now, my personal experience with anxiety, I have had anxiety since I was a very young child. I was officially diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I was medicated for many years for it. I benefited massively from medication and managing my anxiety. And it's something that I am very familiar with. Now, it's something that I still experience very regularly, but my experience with it now looks very different than it did before I had these tools. Anxiety is something that we all experience. It's very much a natural inclination of the human brain to have anxiety. So our job is not to completely rid ourselves of it necessarily, but to learn how to deal with it when we do encounter it. So if we were to define anxiety, define what it is, it is a feeling. It's an emotion. Now, feelings and emotions are vibrations in our bodies that we feel. (laughs) But the emotion itself is very vague and can be very generalized. So what happens is anxiety acts as kind of an umbrella emotion for things like worry and fear and apprehension. And usually it's not associated with one single event. It tends to be generally kind of unspecific. And if we are concerned about a specific event, we usually have a more specific emotion about that event. I am afraid of public speaking. I am worried about giving birth. I'm apprehensive about going on this date tonight and so on. So anxiety thrives when it is vague and when it's sneaky, when it is unspecific. So first I want to talk in terms of why we have anxiety, where it came from, why our brains go that direction and why we experience it. Now, when we were cave people, when we lived in caves and hunted and gathered, anxiety acted as a radar. Like I picture cave people with an antenna coming out of their head that's acting as a radar for danger. (laughs) That radar was always there. It kept them on high alert for survival. And this served them very well. When we were in that caveman day and age, we had to work and be aware of our survival every single day. Having that anxiety served our ancestors incredibly well. We are alive and well today because they had that anxiety that kept them aware of the tigers that were going to eat them, that kept them alert of potential other people that were wielding bows and arrows, it kept us alive. Now what's happened though, is we don't encounter those life-threatening threats every day. But our brain is still wired to look for problems that it can solve to keep us alive. Therefore, because we don't have bears chasing us and antelope to hunt in order to eat, our brains find problems in the math test that we have tomorrow. So then what happens is we still have that radar on top of our heads, but then that radar finds problems in the fact that we've gained weight. 
We give ourselves anxiety over what we've eaten. We have anxiety about our kids' elementary school teachers or their performances. We have anxiety about public speaking. We have anxiety about our alarm not going off in the morning. We have anxiety about our jobs. We have anxiety about what our bosses think of us and so on. We have anxiety over things that we can't even identify initially. But we know logically it's not coming from lions and tigers and bears and axe-wielding people. So essentially our brains are working the same way they have for hundreds of years. And this is amazing news because that means that right now, as we experience anxiety, our brains are just doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They're helping us stay alive. At least that's what our brains think they are doing in offering us these anxiety type thoughts. But here is the problem. We experience anxiety now And we believe that it is a problem to be solved. We tend to feel it and we believe that something is wrong if we are feeling it. But it's actually just your brain trying to keep you safe. It's looking for problems. It's finding them in areas we logically know won't kill us, but it's got that radar that feels useless unless it's doing its job and detecting problems. Now, when I say detecting problems, that is our brain telling us a version of what's happening. We know that thoughts create our feelings and thoughts are optional. So an example of this radar setting off its alarm for no reason is like when you are alone in your house and you hear the dishwasher start and your brain immediately goes to, there's someone in the house that's going to kill me. (laughs) But once we take a beat, we realize that that's not true. We know there's no threat to our survival and we can relax. But where we get stuck is when we can't distinguish between the facts of our lives and the story our brain is telling us about those facts. We can't distinguish between the dishwashers and the cold-blooded killers because the way that it shows up in our lives and in our brains is really sneaky. Now, once we can gain awareness of what thoughts we are thinking, that is the first place to start with anxiety. But here's what we do instead. We feel anxiety, we make it mean that something is terribly wrong, so then we resist feeling it as a way of avoiding the doom. And that is where anxiety has grown into what it is today. But anxiety isn't the problem. It's resisting anxiety that's the problem. Now, we live in a time where we are incredibly comfortable. And physically, our tolerance for discomfort has lessened. Like you think of the thermostat that we have in our house. We have a thermostat that can regulate the temperature in an entire building by a few degrees. So we're feeling a little bit cold. We just knock up the thermostat a few degrees and we're much more comfortable. Whereas those cave people that had that anxiety, their tolerance for physical discomfort was much higher. Now, the same thing has happened with our emotional tolerance. We have become so accustomed to pleasure being available to us on our phones, on the internet, on Netflix, on our TVs, on our computers. We have so much of that comfort that we become very comfortable with comfort emotionally. So then when we experience negative emotions, we start to believe that that means that something has gone wrong. 
that means that something must be wrong with us because we aren't familiar with how to experience this anxiety that our cave people ancestors experienced that served them very well. They were used to having that radar because it allowed them to stay alive. So then we have this anxiety. We believe that it's a problem. We believe that something is wrong in our feeling of it. And so we resist it. Now, when we resist emotions, we get no relief from them. Like there's an analogy of a preacher that was walking with a congregation and a junkyard dog starts trying to chase them. So the entire congregation runs away and the preacher runs directly at the junkyard dog and it scares the dog off. As a society, we are like the congregation running from anxiety, but that anxiety keeps chasing us. So then we find ourselves stuck and don't know what to do and we get no relief from running from it. Now, another example of this is if you had a room full of water that a hose was continually filling up and there was a door to that room, if you always had the door open, the water would just trickle out whenever the hose was turned on. But if you had the door shut, you would be exerting a lot of very consistent and constant effort to keep that door shut and keep all of that water in. You'd get no relief And it would be exhausting and eventually all of that resistance would cause it to explode. Our resistance to anxiety and that subsequent explosive reaction to it, that is what is so uncomfortable to deal with. Now we defined what an emotion was earlier. We talked about how they are simply vibrations in our bodies. Those vibrations are caused by thoughts that we think. But when we experience certain vibrations like anxiety, and then we think something is terribly wrong because I'm experiencing this anxiety, first we were just anxious and now we're worried about being anxious. And worrying about being anxious is just gas on the fire of anxiety. Like imagine this, imagine if you and I were together and I could say to you, okay, I have all of these different emotions that I can let you try. I can inject some of these emotions into you that we can just try them out. So I'm going to inject you with anxiety and you can see what it feels like. If you knew it was something that I was just injecting you with that you were just experiencing, you'd be like, well, that's really uncomfortable. I don't love that feeling, but then you would just move on to the next one. You wouldn't have all of this drama around feeling it and drama meaning that you were going to die. You would just feel it and move on. Anxiety, just as if it's being injected into you, is just an emotion and it's harmless. It can't hurt us unless we exhaust ourselves in the resisting of it. Now, our brains would have us believe otherwise. Our brains would have us believe that anxiety is a major problem and that we are somehow going to die. But we won't. So here are some of the steps we can take in order to help ourselves understand anxiety, to process anxiety, and to help it become more of that little stream of water that just trickles out the door whenever the hose is turned on. The first thing you have to do when you are feeling it is to recognize it and name it. Like I said, anxiety hides in being vague and really sneaky. So when you can get very specific with it and you can be onto your brain when it starts going in that direction, you can open up to it. Now, Jody Moore uses the term leaning into an emotion. So when you can recognize it and name it, call it out, you say, oh, hey, anxiety, I see you. 
You lean into it. You open up to it. Just in the recognition of it, you gain so much power and authority. Second thing you do is actively observe anxiety. This is one of the most extraordinary skills that we have as human beings. We have the ability to think about what we think about. We can observe it. In the doing of this, in the observing of anxiety, you get momentary relief of it as well as a different perspective. Like in the observation of anxiety, you give permission for that emotion to be there as you observe it. You allow that emotion to be there just as a parent would allow a child to do something. A parent might say, I'm allowing you to go on a bike ride. I'm allowing you to go out with your friends. I'm allowing you to eat that sucker. You do the same thing with emotion. And in doing that, you gain authority over it. It then becomes within your control. It's like saying, I don't love you being here, but I will give you permission to be here. Now, if you feel like you are in a hurry to get out of anxiety, that is the indicator that you are not allowing it. You are running away from that junkyard dog and it's going to keep chasing you. Allowing means giving it permission to be there as long as it needs to be there. This is where your authority is. If you accept anxiety as being there, that's when it gives you the power to change it. Now, people will come back at me and say, if I accept it, then it's just going to overtake me. But the opposite is true. When you accept it, when you stop resisting it, that's the only way to change it. That's the only way to allow it to run its course. So the third thing is to remember that nothing has gone wrong. Anxiety is caused by our brains raising the alarm. Our brain is raising that alarm by offering us a whole bunch of alarm type thoughts. But that's just what our brains are really good at doing. That radar is an incredible tool. But that radar is a little bit naive. Because the problems that it is finding don't mean that you're going to die. It doesn't mean that someone you love is going to die. It's just your brain doing its job and keeping you safe. So remember that anxiety isn't something to be solved. Next, I want you to take all of those alarm thoughts and I want you to physically write them down. If you were to write down all of the thoughts that are making you anxious, if you were to separate yourself from your brain a little bit and get it onto paper, you would realize that the thoughts you're thinking would make anyone anxious. Of course you're feeling anxious when you're thinking thoughts like that. But when you are able to separate yourself like that, it brings anxiety out of the shadows and you start to gain some authority over it. You start to be able to figure out where it's coming from. Now, anxiety being an emotion, being that vibration in our bodies, as we write down the specific thoughts that are causing us anxiety, in addition to that, it can be so useful to describe how it feels in your body in the most factual terms. I feel a tightening in my chest. I feel a fluttering in my stomach. You describe physically what it is that you are experiencing. Because when you can identify that emotion, when you can describe how it feels in your body, it helps us again gain some authority over it. It helps us understand what's happening mentally and physically. 
Anxiety doesn't happen to us. We create it. And once we can understand that and identify it very, very, very specifically, that's when it becomes unproblematic. It just becomes another emotion. And it's not necessarily one that's comfortable, but it's one that you can totally allow. Finally, schedule time to have anxiety. I want you to schedule your time to worry. If you find you experience anxiety all the time, that's something that you just carry around with you. And when it rears its head, you say, hey, it's not your turn. I'll hear you out at 3.30 today. But listen, right now, it's not your turn. (laughs) I'm very familiar with this because this is something that I do very often. (laughs) Scheduling that time to hear your brain out and to feel all of the anxiety, you teach yourself and you remind yourself that you are the one in control. You are the one creating that anxiety and you are the one that can manage it. You have all the power in doing that. So take those steps and apply them. If anxiety is something that is difficult for you, implement what I have talked about today. Implement the steps of recognizing and naming anxiety. Actively observing anxiety. Remembering that nothing has gone wrong. Writing down all of those anxious thoughts and writing down what it feels like physically in your body. And finally, scheduling time to feel all the feels and all the anxiety and all the worry and all the fear. I promise if you do that, you will get some authority over it. If you need help with your anxiety, schedule a mini session with me. The link to my website is in the show notes and I can help you further manage your anxiety and really get deeply into the world of getting the authority over it that you need for it not to affect your life. I will be doing more polls in the future about what it is that would be most useful for me to teach and to talk about. So please follow me on Instagram at Taylor and Macy so that I can hear from you and what it is that you want to hear. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.